Hello everybody and welcome into episode number 60 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading Acts chapter 28 today and our focus is on snake handling. Snake handling? Yes, snake handling and misreading scripture. Welcome aboard to new listeners in Queensland, Australia, Madhya Pradesh, India, Accra, Ghana, Los Angeles, California, Huntsville, Alabama, San Diego, California, and South Bend, Indiana. Thank you for listening. Thank you for checking out our website, Bible2021.com. And thank you to those who have recently left us reviews on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate that so much. Though I have been pastoring in California the last few years, I originally hail from good old sweet home Alabama, the heart of Dixie, and a place that some might associate with kissing cousins and snake handling. I can say that I never knew anybody in 40 plus years in Alabama that married their first cousin at least, and I never knew of a snake handling church. There were rumors, certainly, of this or that country church that might have been involved in snake handling, but honestly, I never really heard anything substantial along those lines. My understanding is that in the United States of America, there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 380,000 to 400,000 churches, and only around 100, maybe 125 churches that practice snake handling. Bottom line, I think the practice is far, far rarer than one might think, given the mention of it, but still not absolutely and completely extinct, kind of like Bigfoot. Wink, wink. Today, one of our daughters had a young gentleman call her over for an outdoor lunch with us, and I made a joke about getting the snakes out before we prayed over our meal. Now, we don't really have snakes, and we don't believe in snake handling at all. We were just hazing the new guy a little bit. I've made the snake handling joke quite a lot over the years of pastoring, But I think the pack practice is really, really unbiblical. It's dangerous, it's tragic, and it's very sad. Just in my lifetime, born in the 70s, 11 people in the U.S., 9 men and 2 women, surprisingly, have died in snake handling services in the United States. Six of those people died in Kentucky, 3 in West Virginia, 1 in Virginia, and 1 in Alabama. Mac and Mark Wolford, who were father and son and both pastors, both died in West Virginia 29 years apart during a snake handling service from rattlesnake bites. Uh, rattlesnake bites. The most recent death occurred in Kentucky in 2015. And it's just tragic. It's unnecessary. Complete misunderstanding of the Word of God. All of that said, our passage today in Acts 21 does raise an interesting question. Will God protect his people from the bites of deadly snakes? That is, of course, the premise of snake handling movements, that God will protect those who have enough faith from the bites of venomous snakes. One other verse that is often used to justify this belief is found in Mark 16, verse 17 and 18. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, says Jesus, they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, They will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. As we've discussed before, there's a great amount of debate about the longer ending of Mark and you can check that out on our website, Bible2021.com. We've done a whole episode on it and today's show notes have a link to it. But most 
in a snake handling style church would no doubt ignore that debate, stick with the 1611 King James Version, and just go along with King with Mark 1617 being uh, genuine. Are they right in doing so? I would argue that they are not for a couple of very, very important reasons. Before we get to that, however, let's do read our passage in Acts 28 and see how Paul survived the bite of a deadly asp. Acts 28 verse 1. Once safely ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire and took us all in since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bunch of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man, no doubt, is a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But he shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead. After they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who had welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him, and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So they heaped many honors on us, and when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. After three months, we set sail in an Alexandrian ship that had wintered at the island with the Truan gods as its figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day we came to Putioli. There we found brothers and sisters and were invited to stay a week with them. And so we came to Rome. Now the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as the Forum of, Forum of Appius and the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the custom of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar even though I had no charge to bring against my people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Then they said to him, We haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you, but we want to hear what your views are, since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect. After arranging a day with him, many came to him in his lodging. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, Go to these people and say, You will always be listening but never understanding, and you will always be looking but never perceiving, for the hearts of these people have grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will 
listen. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Thus ends the book of Acts. And we see Paul does indeed survive a deadly snake bite here, but please note the context. He was not intentionally putting himself in harm's way and handling the snake as a test of faith. He was going about his normal business and God spared him from what could have been a deadly disaster, just like God had spared him before from shipwreck, stoning, and other potentially lethal events. Now, we're given a great example in scripture about this whole testing faith business. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 5, we are given a great example in scripture about testing our faith. It reads, the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your feet against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So in Matthew 4, Satan is tempting Jesus in a very, very similar scenario to snake handling. He quotes Jesus a passage about God's protection and then dares Jesus to do something incredibly dangerous. Jesus answers very simply and profoundly, you must not put God to the test. Now, the very same Greek verb used by Jesus in Matthew 4 for testing is also used by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.9, and you won't believe the context. 1 Corinthians 10.9 says, we must not, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Huh, what a chilling verse for a snake handler. You see, in the Old Testament, venomous snakes were symbols of judgment, of God's punishment and disapproval. To take one up as a way of testing one's faith is tantamount to testing God, and such an act will almost certainly lead to trouble because we are commanded to not put God to the test. Neither are we commanded anywhere to pick up venomous snakes in the Bible. We must not put God to to a test. Now understand, snake handling is not a test of our faith. It's not a test of the snake handler's faith because understand, humans do not have the ability to protect themselves from snake bite venom. Snake handling is a test rather of God's intervention. And as such, it is clearly disobedient, foolish, prohibited, reckless, and a dangerous activity that is absolutely counter to the teachings of Scripture, and Jesus himself has given us an example that we must not practice such horrid foolishness. Well, what about Paul's situation? Well, we noted earlier, he was not testing God. He was going about his business and serving God, and Charles Spurgeon sees in this incident approving of the promise of Mark 16. Spurgeon says, Was this not a fulfillment of the master's words concerning the signs following faith in him? They shall take up serpents. Whether this viper had bitten Paul so as to fill his veins with venom, we don't know. And it is an equal miracle whether it had done so or not. Whether the sting had already poisoned him or not, his life was preserved and that was sufficient. Spurgeon is right. Mark 16, such as it is, is not an invitation to seek out trouble and test God. It is a proclamation of the protective powers of God for those proclaiming the good news to the world. 
Well, let's end with our new memory verse for the month of March. It's Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Amen and amen. Good day to you, friends. Godspeed.